0: Thank you, Noah. Appreciate that. I'd like for you to take the Word of God, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 this morning is where we will find our place in Matthew chapter 21. The same record of this event that occurred is recorded in Mark chapter 11, Luke 19, and John 12 in all of the Gospels. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. And in Matthew chapter 21, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And I noticed the phrase in verse number 10 that really stood out to me, and I'd like to bring it to you for consideration this morning. In Matthew chapter 21, the Word of God says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt of the fold of an ass. And, Jesus, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. A very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitude, uh, multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, here it is, the phrase that jumped out at me, grabbed me, and I thought, well, that's strange. He said, who is this? Who is this? Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today to quiet our souls and help us, Lord, as we look to glean truth from your word. Lord, help us to be challenged. Lord, it's very possible that somebody might be here yet today and And they would ask the very same question of Christ. Who is this? Who is this Christ? Who is this Jesus? Lord, uh, I know as well that there are people here that have trusted in Christ already. And Lord, I pray that you'd give something to to those today that they could take and repeat to somebody else who may be asking that question. Who is this? Something they could have to answer beyond just uh, something simple or simple. Something that would help them to lead another person to Christ. We thank you and we love you and we ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is this? Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, as you know, it's the Sunday before Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, some call it. It's the day that celebrates the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Uh, before his crucifixion, death, burial, and and resurrection. Um, Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, was. that was their answer in verse number 11, if you read down to it. Uh, They said that this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. He was coming into the city. Uh, His royal entry, he was presenting himself as the Messiah of God, the promised king of the Jews. And the Bible says in verse number 10 of Matthew 20, The whole city was moved. And here's what they were saying. Who is this? Who is this? Well, it was he who could raise the dead. We go back to John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. The Bible tells us, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, let him go. That's who that was. It was the one who could raise the dead. It was he who with a touch gave sight to blind Bartimaeus and his friend. Sometimes we talk about blind Bartimaeus, but we forget that he had a friend along with him. That's found in Matthew chapter 20. You can look back there if you're in Matthew 21. And verse number 34 tells us, So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Who is this? Well, it was the one who with great compassion converted a hated tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. We've all heard the story. If you've been in Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, we used to sing. Wee little man was he. And this tax collector was hated. He was hated because he was a Jew and he was working for the Roman government and he was collecting taxes. And he wasn't doing a very honest job at it. He was taking more than what was required. And he climbed up. He saw a crowd gathering at the street and as... Jesus came by. He climbed up into a sycamore tree because the Bible tells us he was short of stature. He was vertically challenged. That's not the King James. That's my version. (laughs) Vertically challenged. He crawled up in a sycamore tree. I remember once seeing, somebody pointed out to me, that's a sycamore tree. And looking at the bark on that sycamore tree, and I thought, boy, he could have chose a better tree to climb than a sycamore tree. The bark is so jagged. But he's up in that sycamore tree and Jesus comes walking by and Jesus looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to dine in your house today. I'm giving you the Cliffsnose version. Jesus went in and and as Jesus went into that hated tax collector, the the rest of the people murmured and said, oh, look, he's going to eat with that sinner, that tax collector, Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus trusted Christ that day as the Messiah. And in Luke 19 and verse number 8, We're going to see what happened to Zacchaeus, if you'll go there quickly, Luke 19 and verse number 8. You get there quickly, the Bible says, and Zacchaeus stood. He's in his home now with the Lord Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus, this hated tax collector, the one that exacted more than was required, and he was taken and lining his own pockets with the tax money. Would have been a common practice, but he was doing it, and he was hated for it. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor. See, he had already believed that Christ was the Messiah. He believed that he was in the presence of God in the flesh. And he said, Behold, half of the good of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. God changed his life. He believed on Christ, and things began to change immediately. He said uh, that old hated tax collector, uh, because of the compassion of Christ, to 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 introduce himself to that man, that that man that was hated by everybody else, that was uh, that was just you know caused others to murmur when Jesus went in to sup with him. Jesus had compassion on him, and, uh, and and Zacchaeus placed his faith and trust in Christ, and and things began to change. He gave he gave half of his goods to the poor. He began to uh, recollect in his mind. If if I've wronged anybody, if I've taken more than was required, I'm going to give back fourfold. I'm going to give them what I took from them plus plus more. That was who, this was, that Jesus. I use those three examples because all three of those examples took place right before the story that is recorded in our text in Matthew chapter 21. If we had lived in that day, the day that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, descending from the Mount of Olives, uh, weeping as he came, if we had been alive during that day, I believe that we would have been part of that incredible excitement. We would have been part of that incredible excitement. It's interesting to note that this same Jesus causes a stir everywhere he gets taken today. Back then he rode on the Uh, the the colt of a foal of an ass or however it says in Matthew 21 there on on an ass's colt he was carried by an ass's colt then he's just carried by us now right? He chose a different vehicle, and, and it seems that everywhere he goes now by, by the vehicle that he chose, believers, those that he indwells when they're saved, and those that he commissioned with what we call the Great Commission, as, as we carry him out in, into the cities and the highways and the byways, he still causes a stir, doesn't he? Think of it. His entry into every age and century has caused a stir even to us today. And and the same startled and moving question uh, that was asked in Jerusalem on that day is is recorded concerning him today. Who is this? we take the name of Jesus with us, sometimes we sing the song, take the name of Jesus with you. And when we take the name of Jesus with us, it causes a stir wherever we go, doesn't it? I remember praying over uh, in Olympia a year ago uh, to open the session of Congress. And, and um, I received an email several weeks before I, I did that from the, uh, from the offices there. And they said, now, we, uh, we don't want anybody to pray a sectarian prayer. And so what they were asking me to do in so many words was not pray in Jesus' name. Because his name causes a stir. Who is this? jesus it seems like we can go into our workplaces and to different places we can talk to people about god people are more than happy to talk about god but when we bring up the name of christ people begin to ask who is this who is jesus just in case you're wondering what i did i went ahead and prayed in jesus name and i got invited to come back this year so there you go i didn't know i thought i got one shot i may never come back i'll just go ahead and do it you know Here's what I did, I'll tell you. I I ended the prayer by saying, Father, I do not know how anybody else in this room acknowledges you, but I acknowledge you in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus. Who is this? You know, that question is not asked of any other personality in history. Not like it is when when it's asked about Jesus. For example, long ago, Julius Caesar... Earned his spot in human history. Nobody questions who Julius Caesar was. I thought about in centuries past, no one has ever asked such a question concerning a, a fellow named Plato. We've read Plato, we've studied his philosophies, and yet no one raises a question, who is this Plato? Plato. But as the timeless Lord Jesus Christ walks down through the corridor of the ages and faces this modern day, the question concerning him is raised again and again and again. Who is this Jesus? Every other personality in human history, including that which is being written today, only goes so far, but it goes no further. But the person of Christ dominates all humanity. So, who is this that dominates human life and is presented before us today? Who is this that generates such excitement and offense everywhere he goes? You say Jesus didn't commit offense. In the Bible, we read that his family will mention it in just a moment again, but Mark chapter 6, verse number 3, they said, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters with us here? In the very next phrase it says, And he offended many. Who is this Jesus? Who is this? Was the question of a man named Saul when he met Christ on the road to Damascus? He was blinded by his glorified countenance. And Saul cried out, Do you remember? He said, Who art thou, Lord? Who is this? Who is this? was the question that really shook the foundations of Rome, its very existence and being. Do you know the Roman Empire gathered in the famed Council of Nicaea to answer one question Who is Christ? Not just that time, but again at the great council of Ephesus, then again in the council of Chasteldon, and then again in the third council of Constantinople to answer the question, who is this? It shook the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, Constantine finally said, we can't beat them, we may as well join them. And so he marched his troops to the Rhine River, said, fine, we're all Christian. Who is this? Again and again, that question is raised And we seek to answer it today. Who is this? Well, number one, he is flesh. Now you Bible believers, don't stone me just yet, okay? Give me a chance to get to the end before you draw a conclusion about what I'm trying to communicate. He is flesh. Jesus is of flesh and of bone and of blood. For example... Just as I mentioned a moment ago, when he spoke in the city of Nazareth, where he was brought up and lived and worked, they said, is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and of Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? He is of flesh and blood. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he, Jesus, being touched with the same feelings and infirmities that every one of us are acquainted with us, uh, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he did it a different way. He did it without sin. None of us can claim that. Consider this. However glorious the star that shined Above his manger in Bethlehem, however marvelous the song that the angels sang at his birth, it was still the cry of a human baby that was heard from that manger. However miraculous the intelligence and biblical and theological understanding of that 12-year-old, that he was still a boy subject to his parents. Imagine that. Who is this? Who do we find in John chapter 4, wearied and sitting because of the journey at the well, but Jesus. Who do we see brokenhearted just in other places where this event that was recorded in our text crying human tears over Jerusalem as he descends into the city? His substance is of human flesh. When they pressed the crown of thorns on his brow, when they plucked the beard from his face, when they covered his head and beat him with their hands, and when they thrashed his back uh, to ribbons with a cat of nine tails, and when they drove those nails through his hands and through his feet, and when they thrust that spear in his side, it was the substance of human flesh that they bruised and tore and pierced. His flesh. his human blood that stained the ground at the foot of the cross. The human bodily uh, body that they hastily yet carefully took down from the cross, wrapped in a sheet, and laid in Joseph's new tomb. Who is this? Well, he's flesh. He's flesh, but that's the conjunction that makes all the difference. But huh, he's not just flesh. He is flesh, but number two, he's God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. 750 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah spake of his deity. I'd like for you to take and turn to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. And we're going to see what Isaiah wrote under the divine inspiration of God concerning the deity of this one that they asked, who is this? We're going to see his deity in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 illustrated for us. In Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus... The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Are you there? Isaiah 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be. Here's the names of Christ, names given to Christ by God himself. He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. God called Jesus the Mighty God. God called Jesus the Everlasting Father. Our God is a triune God. He's one God, but he's three parts. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And right there in Isaiah 9, 6, it was prophesied that this man who came in the flesh would be more than just flesh. He was God in the flesh. He's the Everlasting Father, the the Mighty God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 1.14, the Apostle, beloved Apostle John, wrote that the Word was made flesh. He's referencing Jesus. It's a proper noun because the Word, Word is capitalized. So we know that it's a person, a place, or a thing. We know it's not a place. We know it's not a thing because in that same verse, he says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. He's God in the flesh. Think about what John the Baptist said when he saw him. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saw him and said to Peter, We have found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We found God in the flesh. Simon Peter said unto him, when he was asked, he was asking the disciples, Whom do men say that I am? And they gave various answers. Some think you're a prophet. Some think you're this. Some think you're that, you know. And he said, "But but whom do ye say that I am?" And you remember what Peter said? Well, thou art the Arthur Christ. Thou art the Arthur Christ. When the centurion at Capernaum pled for the life of his servant, he recognized the omnipotence—that's an attribute of God—the powerfulness and, and the uh, the unlimited power of God, the omnipotence of Jesus—and said, "Just speak the word. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof." You remember that story? And Jesus, he said, you just speak the word and I know my servant will be healed. So who is this? This is God in the flesh. With a word, the Bible records that Jesus could speak and the waves obeyed in Matthew chapter 4. With a word, he could speak and the leper was cleansed in Mark 1. The blind could see, Matthew 9. The deaf could hear, Mark chapter 7. And the mute could speak, Matthew chapter 9. Who is this? Do you know, it's interesting to me that if you'll read about the miracles of Christ, you'll find record of them in places beside the Bible. And it is never disputed what Jesus did, ever. Those that recorded the miracles of Christ ever disputed the fact that Jesus did these amazing things, not just biblically, but historically. This was one of the things that led Lee Strobel to faith in Christ. Lee Strobel was a was a reporter, a journalist for one of the most liberal newspapers in the United States, the Chicago Tribune. And he set out to disprove, his wife believed on Christ, and he set out to disprove Christ, and he ended up placing his faith and trust in Christ because he, he couldn't deny the fact that this book, is, this book is true. It's corroborated. The evidence is there. He wrote a v- book that many of you are familiar with, uh, The Case for, uh, Case for Christ. He greeted the dawn, Jesus greeted the dawn by saying, I am the light of the world. That's a pretty bold statement to make, unless you're God. He stood by the grave and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He made his appeal to those who were wearied by religion or a religious system and said in Matthew eleven, twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. When the officers of the temple came uh, to arrest him, they fell down to the ground in the presence of his deity. That's recorded in John chapter 18 and verse number 6. The Bible says they fell back to the ground. When the Roman centurion, which stood next to him at the foot of the cross, heard him cry, it is finished, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Thomas saw him after his bodily resurrection and said, My Lord, my God. John saw him well exiled to the Isle of Patmos. You see, the history tells us, tradition tells us, that, that they attempted to kill all of the disciples. Some died by crucifixion. John wasn't so lucky. He was boiled in hot oil. But he didn't die. That's so, Christian tradition teaches us. So they exiled him to Patmos. They figured, well, we can't kill this one. We'll just put him out on an island. While he's out on that island, uh, God gave to us through this beloved apostle, the book of Revelation, how it all ends. And while John is writing under the divine inspiration of God, he sees Christ. And he mentions and he talks of him as being the root and the offspring of David. Do you know what he's saying when he said that? He was saying that Jesus is both the father and descendant of David. Now, how do you work that? He's both the father and descendant of David. That sounds like a family tree in West Virginia. Einstein's theory of relativity, you know, all things are relative. In West Virginia, everyone's relatives. But that's what, G- that's what he said of Jesus. He said he, Jesus is both the father and the descendant of it. A- How could that be possible except Jesus is God? In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 8, it's recorded that God himself said unto His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what God said to the Son. It's a quote of uh, Psalm 45 and verse number 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. God called Jesus God. I'd like for us to just maybe depart just a moment from the scriptures and consider some words of the great writers of the English language who found the answer to the question, who is this? Alfred Lord Tennyson. I'm quoting. Alfred Lord Tennyson believed in Christ. And he said in a poem, Thou seemest human and divine the highest holiest manhood thou our wills are ours we know not how our wills are ours to make them thine William Cowper penned these words "Let everlasting thanks be thine for such a bright display that makes a world of darkness shine with beams of heavenly day My soul rejoices to pursue the steps of him I love till glory breaks upon my view in brighter worlds above. Who is he? Who is this? Well, he's God in the flesh. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of life. He's the savior of the world. This is Jesus. Who is this? The crowd asked it. And what they should have said, this is God in the flesh. You don't know Jesus? You better know Jesus. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of life, the the Savior of the world. The one that has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said that, you know. He say, he came to save those that were lost, those that were condemned already, those that are perishing and without hope. And by the way, if you're without Christ this morning, that's, that's the condition of the unbeliever, lost. Condemned already. It's not a matter of standing before God someday and hoping that our good outweighs our bad. In the Bible, we find that we're condemned already if we haven't believed on the name of Christ. On the one that we're talking about this morning. Who is this? Well, he's, he's that one, the savior of the world. Folks, I want you to understand that Jesus did not come to give us a good long life. Nor did he come to save us from a bad short one. Jesus came to save us from a bad eternity, from a Christless eternity. That's why Jesus came. He's God in the flesh, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of life, he's the savior of the world. And the acknowledgement of Christ in God solves for thee, Robert Browning wrote, all questions in heaven and in earth. The key word, I think, in that phrase is acknowledge. Make it your own. The acknowledgement of Christ in God solves for thee all questions in heaven and in earth. Who is this? He is salvation. Salvation is not a who or not a what, it's a who and his name is Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved as Jesus. This is Jesus. That's who we're talking about this morning. Would you acknowledge him today? Would you acknowledge who the Bible says that he is? The Bible says if we will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. We need to be saved because eternity is coming. Time will end. And if we end time without Christ, we'll pass into a Christless eternity. The Bible speaks of those that will go to a place called hell, separated from the living, yes, but also separated from God. I, there's many ways that the Bible describes hell. The Bible speaks much of hell. Jesus talked about hell much. It talks about it being a place of torment. But I, I think in my own mind, and that this is just me, But in my mind, I think the worst thing about eternity would be complete separation from the God that created me. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that those that that go and are separated from Him are blotted out of the book of life. It's there, the book of life. What that communicates to us is, is that if we end time without Christ, we go into a Christless eternity and, and it will be as if we never even existed. That to me is the greatest terror of hell, darkness. Oh, do you talk about darkness? What a terrible thought. Why not acknowledge Christ today, the Christ of the Bible? I'd like for you to take your hymn books and turn to song number 111. Song number 111. And we're going to give something called an invitation. And during this invitation time, I would like to give you an opportunity to acknowledge him, Christ, publicly. To confess him. The Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth with the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can do that this morning. There's never been a time in your life when you've trusted in Christ alone for your eternal salvation. Because folks, listen, look this way just for a moment, please. We're going to wrap this up. The song music's playing. We're going to sing a couple verses of this invitation song. If you're here this morning, you're here this morning, and you do not know for sure that if you died that you'd spend eternity with God, that you have an eternal home in heaven. I don't know how to express it any better than that. Why don't you come? And maybe just with enough faith to come and, and believe, we could sit you down with somebody who take a copy of God's Word and, ta- and, and just go back over what we've preached from the pulpit this morning, Christ. Who is this? Who is this Christ? You might be sitting there right now and wondering in your mind, what's the big deal? Who is this? Who is this Christ? During this invitation, won't you come? Won't you come to acknowledge him, to confess him with your, believe on him in your heart and confess him with your mouth? You have opportunity to do that. Very good chance you could be here this morning and you've already trusted Christ as your Savior. I know that. I know that. As I look out, I know most of your testimonies, if not all, most of you, What would you do if somebody came to you today and said, well, who is this Christ? How would you answer them? A believer could sit through a message like this and say, I already know all this stuff, you know? Well, what was it that God gave to you today? You could run into somebody today. Maybe you are fearful of that. Maybe you say, well, I hope nobody comes to me and asks, well, who is this? (laughs) Well, if they do, now you have some material. Well, I'll tell you who it is. He's flesh. By his shed blood, that flesh, he reconciled a relationship between God and man. He brought them back together. Who is this? He, he's the savior of the world. Imagine putting yourself in Jerusalem there and here comes Jesus descending down from the Mount of Olives and, and everybody's excited and laying down the palm fronds and laying down things in his way and, and it's such, a, such an excitement and such a crowd and the disciples in other places, the Bible says the disciples shouted with a loud voice. They knew who Jesus was and some people came around and they began to ask, who is this? What's going on here? Who is this? Do we live such a life that we're excited about the things of God? We're excited Excited about Christ in our lives that others might be drawn to him and say who is this well what's the reason of this hope that you have within your heart oh well, who is this let me tell you who this is this is the one that changed my life he he forgave me of all my my sins every single one of them past present and even the ones in the future that's Jesus Give our testimony, tell what Jesus did for us when we trusted him as our savior and what God has continued to do in our lives. You might know somebody today that needs to know who that is. And maybe you'd come during invitation time and you might pray for them. Who is this? It's Jesus. Maybe God gave you something else today. It's, it never ceases to amaze me how God speaks to me through the preaching of his word. The preacher will preach one thing. and oh God come, will come from left field with something else, and he'll touch my heart. Why don't you respond to that this morning? Heads are, uh, not heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to sing. You can't do, sing with your eyes closed. Standing to your feet. Hymn number 111, lead me to Calvary. We'll sing a couple of verses during this invitation time. Now come, come as the Lord leads you. Come on.